0: You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stongey shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. We're continuing our look at the book of Proverbs. And it's interesting because we, as we've been going through the book of Proverbs, I've been taking these chapters in different ways and approaching them in different ways each and every week. Some of the chapters we've been looking at large sections all at once. Then others we've taken kind of like a medium section. And I mentioned to my wife something this week that surprised her. I, I said, you know, on Sunday, we're primarily just going to be looking at one verse. She said, How do you you know, like she's looking at me like, How are you gonna preach a sermon on one verse? And I said, I don't know, we'll have to see how it goes. And uh, I think next week we'll shorten that to just one word, and then maybe the following week we'll just do punctuation. We'll see what happens. But for, for in all honesty, uh, today we're going to be looking primarily at one verse from Proverbs chapter 22. We're going to look at verse 6. We're going to be talking about God's promise to faithful parents. And I even want to say this as I uh, uh, prepare to share this. I recognize that some of you in the room and some of you joining us on the live stream, and by the way, uh, our guests on live stream, welcome to you as well. I almost forgot to say hello this morning. Uh, but I recognize that we're not all parents uh, some of you are, are parents presently right now, some of you are not, some of you have no intention to be parents, some of you have adult children that you've already raised, and you're in the, the generation of, uh, of uh, blessing grandchildren. And so we're all over the map on something like this, and so when you're, you're looking at a portion of Scripture that, that primarily references training and raising children, uh, sometimes it can be very easy to look at that and say, all right, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, I think, and I'm convinced that there will be something that you're able to get from this message wherever you are on that spectrum because of the Scripture we're going to look at being universally true, but also the things that we're going to show that it connects to. So this morning we're in Proverbs chapter 22, and you're welcome to turn there with me. And like I said, we're going to be looking just at one verse today, verse 6. And we're going to be talking about the fact that God has a promise here for faithful parents. And he says this in Proverbs 22, verse 6. He says, As he speaks through Solomon, the scripture tells us, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to spend some time together today, looking at it, growing from it, um, reading the things that you have communicated to us in your word. And by your grace, seeking to apply these things to our lives. We pray, Lord, that you'd prepare our minds and our hearts to receive your word now. We pray that you'd show us ways in which these truths apply to us. And that we would glorify you for the the way that you are and the ways in which you operate in our day-to-day lives. And for the things that you teach us as well. And so we commit this time to you now, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to, to just think about this concept of training or raising up a child. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have developed some uh, unique habits over the course of my life that I think serve me well, although I'm not going to admit them all to you, because if I did, you'd probably laugh at them, although I would suspect that those of you that have known me for a while probably know most of the quirky habits that I have already, but I'll keep most of them to myself. But I will share about one habit that I actually developed in the early years of my, my, uh, my teen years. In fact, I think this was a habit I developed when I was about 13 years old. And what I used to do is I would write out, and I do this regularly, I would write out a list of advice to myself on how to raise teenagers. Because I was convinced that when I was no longer a teenager that when I was a parent, when I had teenagers of my own, that I was going to forget what it was like to be a teenager. And I wanted to make sure to write those things down so that I wouldn't forget. So I wrote it down, and I actually kept it. And believe it or not, some of the advice that 13-year-old me gave 44-year-old me was actually good. So thank you, 13-year-old me. I actually appreciate it. Not all of it was, but some of it was. Now, I will say this, if the Lord's calling you to raise children in the future or at present, or if you've already raised your children and maybe you're into the season where you've begun the process of leaving a legacy for your grandchildren, please allow me to point out five principles that I believe are taught in Scripture about the process of training and influencing the life of a child. And even if you don't have children or don't even intend on having children, I'm still convinced you'll find something of value here. And one of the first things I want to bring up for us today is this. The fact that parenting children is rewarding, but it isn't easy. It's rewarding, but it isn't easy. Now, I will say this. I enjoy being a father. The blessing of having children and raising them together with my wife has been an experience that I truly do consider a gift from God. And when I think, so our children are, our oldest is 20, our youngest is 15, and we have four. So we have four kids very close together in age. When I think back over the course of the past 20 years, one of the first things that strikes me is just how quickly that time really did go by. People used to tell me, I remember when my my first daughter was born, someone said, oh, before you know it, she'll be in kindergarten. And I got mad at them. I didn't tell them I was mad at them. (laughs) I got annoyed. I was like, listen, she was just born. Let me enjoy the just born phase before you start talking about kindergarten. They're like, oh, but here's the deal. She'll be in kindergarten before you know it. I was like, and we're not friends anymore. You will leave my life, right? Not literally. But I remember being annoyed. But now I look at the past 20 years and I'm like, all right, the past 20 years, I felt like it happened in five minutes. But when I look back over that time, what I think about and what my mind is filled with is, is snapshots of conversations and day trips and silly moments, vacations, and the different milestones that we've reached along the way. And most of the experiences that we've been blessed to have together have been positive, very rewarding. But other, other experiences along the way have been infuriating, scary, even heartbreaking, And I'm sure my parents would say the same exact thing about raising me. And I'm sure that their parents would have said the same exact thing about raising them. It just seems to be the cycle of life and what it's like to raise a child. Parenting children is rewarding, but it isn't easy. When you have a child, you've basically committed yourself to thinking about their well-being continually for the rest of your life. And so you'll do things, you'll do your best to protect them, you'll do your best to provide for them, you'll do your best to offer them counsel, you'll do your best to point them to Jesus Christ, but the experience is going to stretch you in ways that you don't expect it to stretch you. And the stretching probably won't feel good, but it is a good thing. It's actually a good thing when the Lord stretches us in ways that, that maybe we would not have elected to be stretched. And I believe that that stretching is something that the Lord uses in two ways. This, this process of, 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 of taking us in directions that we would not have naturally chosen to go. I believe the Lord uses it in two ways. And first, I believe that the Lord uses it as part of the sanctifying process that he's bringing us through. And what I mean by that is this. As you trust in Jesus Christ and as you walk through your days in your relationship with Jesus... One of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing is he's producing holiness in your life. He's helping you to grow. You're progressively growing in holiness. You're progressively starting to think more like Christ. You're starting to value what Christ values. You're growing in these areas. And so he uses it to produce holiness in our lives. He uses the experience of raising these children to produce holiness in our lives by teaching us more about the importance of things like self-sacrifice or things like admitting that we aren't perfect or things like relying on His help. As the Lord has been working in my life, in each of those areas, I believe it has a sanctifying effect. It teaches me to appreciate appreciate the mind and the heart of the Lord even more. I love what Scripture tells us, by the way, in Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Let me read it for us. It says this. It says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion, in the fear of God. It's a great portion of Scripture, but let me me just highlight one aspect of this. See here where it says, bringing holiness to completion. Why is it saying bringing holiness to completion? Well, what it's saying is that this growth in holiness, this process of growing in holiness that you're going through, is a process. You're growing in this area. Bringing holiness to completion is the idea of maturing in holiness along the way, throughout the course of your walk with Jesus, as you grow spiritually, bringing it to completion, progressing in that direction. And I do believe that that's one of the first benefits that you experience in training children or in trying to raise children. But I also think there's a second benefit. the second benefit I think is this. I believe that the Lord uses that process of raising children to help us gain a greater glimpse of his heart. So in my case, I can testify that he has been using the process of raising children to teach me more about the nature of unconditional love, what it looks like, how he's been showing it to me, and how I'm supposed to show it in my household, because that's the kind of love that he first demonstrated to us. So if he's going to demonstrate that to us, I need to be demonstrating that in my household to my children, I have to tell you, and it, I don't mind, uh, you know, I, some of my children are here today, so they're going to hear me say this, but I have to tell you, I, I actually have coaching sessions with myself from time to time, and I only use two words. And you know what two words I use? Sometimes when I feel like I'm set off, or when I'm about to do something or say something where I know I'm fired up, I'll say to myself, love unconditionally. I'll say it under my breath, or I'll just say it in my mind, or it's like my pre It's like the preamble to whatever's about to come out of my mouth. And I'm like, love unconditionally. Love unconditionally. When I have that coaching session with myself, before I say something, whatever comes out of my mouth tends to go a little bit better. And I feel like the process of training or raising children is is a process that the Lord's been using to teach me more about the nature of the unconditional love that he's been showing to me all along. So if he's been showing that to me, I need to be showing that too. So that's the first principle I wanted to bring out. Parenting children, not easy, but it is rewarding. Something else that I think Scripture highlights for us, and we're going to revisit Proverbs 22, six in just a second. I'll reread it in a second, but I want you to think about this statement. Then I want to reread that verse for us. You are responsible for what you model and teach. Not what your child ultimately does with it. Let me say that again. You are responsible for what you model and teach. Not what your child ultimately does with it. Look again at Proverbs 22, six. I want to reread it for us. It says this. Train up a child in the way he should go. So it's saying that's your responsibility. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Those of you who have multiple children can testify that each child is unique. Every single child is unique. They may have the same two parents. They may grow up with the the same exact instruction. They may live in the same house, but be completely different in nearly every way. Those of you, by the way, with siblings, are you exactly like your siblings, or are you a little bit different from your siblings? Some of you are emphatically shaking your head no. No. Some of you are saying, I am not like my sibling in any way. <laughs> I wonder why you feel so strongly about that. Um, but you know, in a household with multiple children, they're going to be different. They're not going to be exactly the same. They're all individual people. Some may latch on to your wisdom and latch on to your instruction early, while others during that season choose to rebel. Some may show an interest in spiritual things while they still live with you. And others might take a lot longer for their eyes to be open to the value of those things. But the promise we're given here in this portion of Scripture is this, that there will be fruit from the investments that we make in our children. There will be fruit that comes from it. The investments that you make in your children, those investments will not be fruitless. If we model what it means to follow Jesus Christ, and if we teach them how to navigate life and how to navigate all kinds of experiences with Christ as their central focus, there will come a day, possibly much later in life for some kids, where that instruction will bear fruit. That's what the Scripture is teaching us. And I think that that's helpful knowledge for us to embrace because many, if not most parents, we all share a similar quirk. And that quirk is this. Instead of accepting the fact that there are going to be times when our children make errors in judgment, what we end up doing is we blame ourselves for every mistake or unwise decision that they make. We blame ourselves like it's our fault. And that self-blame, it tends to get really, really strong when those children become adults that make choices that we are uncomfortable with. We start filling up our mind and filling up our life with self-blame. And it's not healthy to do that. So please keep in mind, you're responsible for what you model. And you're responsible for what you teach. But you're not responsible for what your child ultimately does with it. Some years ago, a friend of mine who has uh, four adult children, she asked me if we could chat. And I said, yeah, we could chat. And so we chatted on her back porch. And she wanted to pray about her kids. And I said, Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy. I, I came over and we, and we prayed for her kids. And her concern was two of the kids were on a good path. And two of her adult children were on a path that she was genuinely concerned about. And so we prayed. We prayed for their, ki- for their kids. And so I thought it was a good time of prayer. But then soon after that, another friend of, me, another friend of mine came up to me and he, he was talking to me. And he shared almost the same exact thing about his children. And then very soon after that, you just fast forward a little bit after that, another friend of mine shared with me almost the same exact thing about his adult children. And so what I'm learning is that that apparently seems to be a very common experience for most parents. Different children make different decisions at different times. And some of the decisions that they make are going to be wise and helpful and godly. And other decisions might be destructive or harmful or maybe even heartbreaking. And here's something that the Lord's been reminding me about. And I hope it'll encourage your heart because it certainly encourages mine. God, his, God himself is sympathetic to all of this. Now, why would I say that with such definite clarity? Or, so you know, why would I say that is as something that, I, that I'm certain of? That God is sympathetic to all of this. The reason I would say that is because he's experiencing the same exact thing from us. And that's been historically true, because when we look back at, at, at the first man and the first woman, think about their context. Think about what was going on when Adam and Eve were living in the Garden of Eden. What you have there is, is proof that just because you're raised by the perfect parent in the perfect environment, it doesn't mean you're never going to rebel, and it doesn't mean you're not going to make poor choices. You can be raised by the perfect parent in the perfect environment and still rebel, and still make poor choices. We see that in Adam and Eve. and We've been seeing it ever since. So again, let me remind you, you're responsible for what you model and you teach. Not what your children ultimately do with what you've offered to them. Something else that scripture highlights for us that I want to mention and, and then show you something about. And that's this. If you don't influence your child for good, the culture will be happy to influence them for evil. You don't influence your child for good, the culture will be happy to influence them for evil. We live in an era of many influences. Some of those influences are good, some of those influences are bad. I remember a few years ago having a conversation with a friend of mine who was referencing somebody as a professional influencer. And I said, what is that? What kind of job is that? A professional influencer. And she was explaining to me what that, that term meant. I was like, what does a professional influencer mean? It's like, well, this is the type of person that gets paid to post certain things on social media because then they'll start defining new trends. What's popular in music? What's popular in food? What's popular in fashion? What kind of slang everybody starts using? How, how, how people uh, do their makeup? All this. She's like, that's what a professional influencer does. So I was like, well, how do you get one of those jobs, right? What do you do for a living? I wake up and I influence. <laughs> Sounds really hard. You know, professional influencer. But here's the thing. We live in an era of time where we're being influenced. Our senses are being bombarded continually with information. And it may even be begin to feel to you like like everyone you know is either trying to influence you or entertain you or sell to you or even control you and i guess it probably feels that way because it's pretty much true so much of the influences that that are coming at us all the time tend to fall into one of those four categories or either trying to influence entertain sell or or or, or control us and i i wonder if we think about it from that perspective. I think it's helpful if we think about it from that perspective, but we might not always think about it from that perspective. So I want to ask us this question. I hope it'll be helpful to us, but that's this. What influences are you allowing into your home or what influences are you endorsing through your consumption habits? What influences do you allow into your home and what do you endorse through your consumption habits? And I don't say that to to make anyone feel guilty. But I do ask us all, including myself, to be thinking about that and become more intentional about that, because if we don't choose to influence our children for good, the culture will be more than happy to influence them for evil. I was talking to somebody earlier this week, a professional wrestler that uh, I used to follow when I was a kid. I kid you not. I had a conversation with him. I interviewed him for my podcast. Kind of one of the highlights of my life, all right? All right. So, uh, some of you are like, wait a second, this pastor appreciates professional wrestling? Why do I attend this church? I don't know. I don't know the answer. For, I can't answer that for you. I got I to just tell you, though, that, I, <laughs> that it's true. And um, so, imagine, you know, I have this conversation with someone that I used to look at on TV. His name is Nikita Koloff. I'm going to release the interview really soon. And um, And I was talking to him. He became a believer in Christ back in 93. And you know what he was telling me about and he was finding such great joy in? The fact that when his his grandchildren now ride with him in his car or are visiting his home, they're always asking him about the worship music that he's playing. And he said, it's really important to me that they see this kind of influence in my life and that they hopefully then adopt it into their life. And 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 he you could tell he was thinking a whole bunch about that. That was something very much on his mind and certainly something he was trying to be very intentional about. And I imagine that we probably don't think about that enough, but I want to point something out to us that's important that we know. And it's something that falls under the radar frequently, but we shouldn't let it fall under the radar any longer. And that's this. There's actually a spiritual battle taking place right now every day for the control of our minds. There's a spiritual battle taking place, and many people don't even realize that it's taking place. Even believers in Christ, even Christians, don't always realize that there's a spiritual battle taking place right now for the control of your mind and my mind. Let me show you what I mean. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it tells us this. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And it's talking about the idea of like demonic strongholds, spiritual strongholds working against us. And it says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There's a war going on for your mind and for my mind, trying to influence us in a direction that is opposed to Christ. what does the Scripture tell us? It says, we have the opportunity through the power of the Spirit to take every thought captive to obey Christ, to yield our minds, to yield our hearts to the influence of the Holy Spirit, to the teaching of the Word of God, instead of giving ourselves over to the negative influence that, that ultimately the evil one is trying to use against us and steer us in a direction that's apart from Christ. And a key aspect of household leadership that we should notice is the influence that we have on those that the Lord entrusts to our care. Are you familiar with um, an author named John Maxwell? I've read a bunch of his stuff over the years. And John Maxwell, if you asked him to define leadership, you know what his definition of leadership is? You'd probably add a few things to this. But if you asked him, his definition of, of leadership is this. He says, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Leadership is influence. That's what he says. Leadership is influence. And I think he does make a point. And a key, a key aspect of household leadership is the influence we have on, the, on those that the Lord entrusts to our care. And here, how about this? One of the greatest aspects of the legacy that you will leave the generations that come after you is your influence. In fact, every day I'm being influenced by the lives of people who aren't even living anymore. And sometimes it's, it's because I read the things that they wrote during the course of their earthly life. But other times it's often just because stories about things that they did or said get retold over and over and over again. I'm regularly influenced by members of my own family that I never met because their legend lives on. Their influence lives on in the stories that get told. I can't wait to meet my great-grandfather. He was a prankster. We're going to get along. If you're raising children, or if you already raised children, You continue to be a power to influence them. And as you remain careful to yield your mind to Christ and then surround yourself with influences that point you toward him, the fruit of that example is going to reach into the lives of those who watch you and those who learn from you. The culture may try to point your children and your grandchildren away from Christ, but your life can be used to point them toward him. Something else that I want to point out that I think is helpful in this, as, as we really just kind of think about how to apply Proverbs 22.6 to the process of parenting. And that's this. You're going to need to trust the Lord's promise on days when it seems unlikely to come to pass. You're going to need to trust the Lord's promise on the days when it seems unlikely to come to pass. This, this past Thursday evening, I scheduled a phone call with someone who asked if, if she could talk with me. And I said, sure, uh, g- you know, give me a call. Thursday evening, we'll talk at 7 o'clock. And so Thursday night, she gave me a call, and she wanted to talk about raising children. That was the topic she wanted to talk about, raising children. And basically, she and her husband recently had a son. So they have a little baby, a little baby boy. I think he's about six months old now. And she wanted to talk to somebody who's already been through the process of raising sons. And she wanted to see what I would say. And so one of the comments she made to me in that conversation was this. I thought it was interesting. She said, parenting a baby is the most enjoyable thing I have ever done, but it's also the hardest. And I said, yeah, that makes sense. And and being a wise guy, this is what my response would be to her. A good counselor wouldn't say this, but she got me. And I was free. Um, And I said, yeah, I have good news. It only gets harder. That's why I said, I have good news. It only gets harder. And she's like, wait, What? (laughs) But she knew that. And Proverbs 22.6, as we read that just a moment ago, what it does is it assures us that, that, that if you train your child in the way that child should go, they won't depart from it when they're old. But there's going to be many days along the way when you're going to have to accept that teaching by faith. Because in the moment, your eyes may be seeing something drastically different. They're going to be seasoned. You're going to have to trust that by faith. Until you get to see it. Uh, Very recently, earlier this past week, I was reading a story about one of Billy Graham's daughters. Um, And I found it very instructive, and so I thought I'd share it with you. But many of us, myself included, have a great degree of respect for Billy and Ruth Graham and, and the ways the Lord used them to bring millions of people unto himself. But keep in mind that they were also battle weary parents who experienced some of life's hardest moments. You know, they went through those things as well. And one of their daughters, in particular, went through a very difficult stretch of uh, just in her her early adult life. And she did what so many of us have to admit that we've done, and she rejected the good counsel that she was given in some key areas of life, and she chose to elevate her own wisdom above the wisdom that was being offered to her. And eventually, and... I think everyone could see it coming. Eventually it all came crashing down and she found herself in in genuine need of her parents' help to help her pick up the pieces of her life at that point. And amazingly, they didn't crush her spirit when she came back to them. I love I love how they handled it. I love how Billy and Ruth Graham handled it. They didn't even express disappointment in her. They were very careful in how they handled it. Billy Graham, during the course of his life, he was somebody that was Obviously, he was well-known, and one of the things, unfortunately, that he had to deal with regularly were death threats, so he actually had his home gated at one point, and so to get into the property, you had to call ahead to get into the gated property, and so his daughter called ahead, knowing the protocol. You got to call ahead. She called ahead, so they knew she was coming. They knew she was coming home before she came home, and what Billy Graham ended up doing, knowing she was coming, he went out, and he walked in his driveway, and he just paced his driveway until she came. When she came and came through the gate and he's pacing the driveway, he was all excited to see her. And when she got out of the car, he didn't do the I told you so thing. He didn't discourage her. He didn't do anything like that. He just hugged her and hugged her and hugged her and welcomed her home and made sure that she knew that she was loved unconditionally. And Ruth did the same thing. And their daughter tells the story now and says, they didn't beat me up. They didn't berate me. They didn't, they didn't do the, I told you so. They didn't do any of that stuff. They didn't discourage me. They didn't crush my spirit. They just let me come home and heal, and they helped set me up for the next stretch of my life. And it was such a blessing. And you had them, ultimately, what they were doing was, there were days where they had to trust that promise by faith because they weren't seeing that in regard to their daughter. Then the day came and they got to see it. By the way, if you want to read up more about that, There's a cool book I'm reading right now. It's called Doing Life with Your Adult Children. It's by Jim Burns. You can tell what season of life I'm at, right? Doing Life with Your Adult Children by Jim Burns. Check that book out. I'm halfway through it, but it's fantastic. One other thing I want to show you this morning, and that's this. You may not live to see the ultimate fruit of your investment, but it's okay to rejoice in it ahead of time may not live to see the ultimate result, the ultimate fruit of that investment, but it's okay to rejoice in it ahead of time. I want to show you three related scriptures. Notice the pattern in these scriptures as I show these to you. The first is Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. It says this, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Then Psalm 103, 17 says this, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9 says this Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. You see the pattern, right? And that's not the only portions of Scripture that speak like that. But you see this emphasized. Over and over and over again. And what's the Lord illustrating to us in those verses? What's He trying to convey? What's He showing us about the ways in which He thinks? I think there's something important that He brings up there. We tend to think in moments of time, but the Lord shows us that He thinks generationally. We think in moments of time, but He's thinking generationally. He certainly speaks into a moment, but He can see beyond that moment into the future. And as our faith develops, what he's actually doing is he's helping us to see things the way he sees things. It's the fruit of faith, right? As we believe the Lord, we're believing him for things that we have not yet seen with our eyes. That's what Hebrews 11 reminds us of. We're trusting the Lord for things that our eyes have not yet witnessed, but because we believe that the Lord is true and that his promise is right. We believe him for things that we have not yet seen with our eyes. He's teaching us to see things that haven't happened yet but to treat them like they already have. I'll give you a few examples of how that's working out in my life and probably working out in many of your lives as well. So we see things that haven't happened yet, but we treat them like they already have. Well, by faith, I believe that Jesus is returning like I've already seen it. My heart is so convinced of that fact, I believe it like I've already seen it. By faith, I believe that I will enjoy the blessings of being part of God's eternal kingdom like I'm already seated at a heavenly banquet table and eating a delicious meal. I believe it like I've already seen it. And I think that God also wants me and he also wants you to trust him for the promises that his word shares about our children, about our children's children, and about our children's children's children. Whether we live long enough to see it with our own eyes or not. And so I'm going to remain optimistic about these things ahead of time because I believe that the promise of God is true and it encourages my heart. And let me say this as we finish up this morning. Again, recognizing that all of us are at different stretches of this or different seasons. Maybe you've been a parent for a while. Maybe you're a new parent. Maybe you're not a parent yet, but you hope to be someday. And maybe you have no intention of having children But each of us as children of God can take some application from this. And so I'll say this. If you're preparing to become a parent, if you already have adult children, if you're somewhere in between or somewhere else on that spectrum, I hope you'll take great encouragement from God's promises to you because His promises are true. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we become a child of God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're enabled to raise children. Rely on God to see you through the process. Trust Him to do what only He can do. And start looking forward to the blessings that you can't yet see like you've already seen them. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this and see what You say about this process of raising children. Lord, we know that That process is not something that is easy. It's something that you stretch us through. It's something that challenges us. It's something that we at times find rather difficult. But it's also something that's so rewarding and it's so joyful. And so, Lord, we pray that wherever we are in that process that we would trust you and that we would rejoice in the blessings that you have revealed to us. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that that you have displayed great patience to us in the process of bringing us up. Lord, we know that all of us can can list stories of times when we've rebelled against you. We can list stories of, of times that we have gone our own way or we've forsaken your counsel. And yet you've shown us mercy and you've been patient with us and you give us opportunity to repent. You give us opportunity to come back to you. And so by your grace, Lord, we pray that that's exactly what we would do. And we pray that if you give us the opportunity to influence another life, you give us the opportunity to to raise children or influence them in any way, we pray, Lord, that we would keep these things in mind, that we would love unconditionally as you have loved us unconditionally, that we would show mercy as you have made us recipients of your mercy, and that we would think back to what you've revealed in your word here because it's powerful. Lord, you teach us that if we train a child in the way that child should go, that when they're old, they won't depart from it. And Lord, you make that statement in such a declarative way. As we look at that declaration, you're you're basically forcing us to either accept it or reject it. It's not a statement that gets couched in any way. It's not a statement that, that has a whole lot of gray to it. It's a statement that you're inviting us to trust you about, to trust you for. And so, Lord, we pray that that's exactly what we would do. And we thank you, Lord, for revealing that to us from your word. We know, Lord, that it's just one sentence, but it certainly makes a difference when we think about it. And we pray that we would think about it deeply. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. And thank you, Lord, for your intervention and for your help all along the way. We commit ourselves to you. We commit our children to you. We commit our grandchildren to you. We commit the generations that aren't even born yet to you. We pray that you would do your mighty work in their lives and that you draw them unto yourself. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.